0: Been here before. We stand. If you're able, would you stand with us as we open God's Word? It's on page 840. If you have one of our Bibles, and we're in Mark chapter five, we're going to look at verses one through twenty. Again, that's page 840, Mark chapter five, one through twenty. It says, "They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes." Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushing, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from that region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is God's word. You may be seated. It's good to be with
1: you guys. It's good to be here teaching with you guys. Uh, I think I've been here maybe a year and a half or some change ago. And so it's always good to be at the different congregations. Right now there's another pastor from Redemption teaching at our congregation. Our worship leader is teaching at Redemption. He's not teaching. He's not good at that. He's leading worship at uh, um, Redemption Arcadia, and Arcadia uh, worship leaders with us. And so it's good to be around different family members and whatnot, and so uh, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, so let me just kind of uh, let you know where we're going to go today um, so far is, one, I do want to share a little bit about my story, um, primarily because I believe that um, it will actually help shape our understanding of what's going on in this text. And so uh, we'll be looking at this together, ultimately seeing Jesus' power to deliver us from evil and, and free us to follow And so let me say that again. Ultimately, what we see here in this text is Jesus's power to deliver us from evil and to free us to follow him. And so let's look at that together. But would you guys bow your heads as I believe that the Holy Spirit illuminates God's word and it takes a gathering. He takes a gathering of his people to be able to usher, usher us into his presence. So pray with me. Father, we thank you collectively. God, those of us in this room who know you, God, understand your love, who have met you, Christ, that you would exalt Jesus, that we may see him. For those of us in this room who do not know you, Lord, who have questions, doubts, and or concerns about who you are, that you would reveal yourself, that collectively both of us would be able to see and experience and to know the life of love of God um, in Christ Jesus. God, take your word, Lord, um, and do to us, Lord, what it promises to do, that it does not return void, but it waters our souls and our lives, that we may produce fruit in you, God, that we may be people, Lord, who look like you, Help us to desire to know your word and in knowing your word to know and follow Jesus. God, we thank you in Christ's name, amen. So a little bit about my story. Um, part of that is I believe that when that ministry in itself is very autobiographical. So who you are today and who you are in your life, a lot of it is circumstances in which you had growing up and experiences in which you had growing up. So I grew up in Southern California. Um, I, was, I lived with my mom and my dad. Uh, my dad had his own issues. And so he was kind of away from the family for the bulk of the time of me growing up in and out of jail and things like that. And so I had basically a single mom who raised us. And my mom raised us as best as she could. Uh, she raised us. Uh, she became a Christian when I was very. very very young. And so as far as I can remember, my mom has been walking and following with Jesus, and she is a very, very godly woman. Um, My mom would take us to church, and that's what she knew to do. In fact, we always joked around and said we were drug babies, because our mother drug us to church. Um, And you guys know what it's like, most of you growing up in a black church, like like most of you probably did, um, is that there's, there's church services every stinking night, right? The reality of it is church can't save you, though. And so I did not embrace faith in Jesus Christ um, as a young kid. I would have loved to say it. four, I walked down the aisle, I gave my life to Jesus, preached my sermons, preached, you know, preached in tongues. But that didn't happen. Um, I came to college um, in 2000. I graduated from high school and I came to ASU to play football. Um, and, I, and I make that very clear. I came to college to play football. I did not come to be a student athlete, right? Um, and my first semester GPA proved that. at a .67, my first semester GPA, that's, that's bad. Um, and, and so fortunately, by the grace of God, I was able to recover from that. Um, end of my career, um, I begin to have what I believe to be questions about God. And I begin to experience what I know now to be the weight of sin in my life. And I, 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 I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't in a church service or anything like that. But then God met me and God met me. And he opened up my eyes to begin to believe for the first time that Jesus Christ lived for me and he died for me. And by believing in him, I can have eternal life. I heard that a million times with my ears. But for the first time in the language of my heart and my soul and the deep recesses of who I am, I believed it and my life began to change. Everything about me began to change because I wanted to follow this Jesus. And so I knew that in the context and the the context and the situation that I was around, like my friends, my people that were around me in the situation that I found myself in, I mean, I was in some deep, dark stuff that God had delivered me from. I knew that I wasn't gonna be able to be a follower of Christ or a disciple of whatever language I had for that at that time unless I left Tempe. And so I prayed for God to do two things, to get me out of Tempe and to get me Christian friends. And so the first thing he did was I was able to leave Tempe. I went very far away to Ahwatukee, um, and then (laughs) was there for a short period of time. Then I got a teaching job in what I call purgatory and my year and a half in Peoria. Uh, No offense to Josh, he's from the west side, but purgatory. And so I was over there in Peoria, and then um, eventually— eventually, over a series of different things, God brought me back to Tempe. And when people tell me, why do you love the city of Tempe so much? And it's like, you know what? God has literally changed my life here, and he's given me the call to do exactly what we see in this story, is that God comes in your life, he changes your life, and he says, go and tell people all that God has done for you. And I, I feel like my job is very, very simple, um, and, and that is, um, you meet Jesus, and you tell people what he's done for you. Your job is very simple. I'm not talking about your vocation. I'm just saying your mission in life outside of your vocation in terms of your vertical relationship with Jesus is God does something in your life. It's significant. He shows you mercy and grace, and then you turn, and then you tell everyone else around you what Jesus has done for you. And we begin to see these things play out in this story in this man who was possessed by demons. In fact, before we jump into the text, let me kind of catch you guys up, just in case you're new or you haven't been um, paying attention or Luke was boring. I I don't know. And and so we're trying to catch everybody up to us. At the very beginning of Mark, here's what we have. Chapter one is that we have Jesus being baptized. And it's the best baptism ever because you have the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then you have the voice of God, the Father speaking, saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And what I love about that is we begin to see how the gospel works, and that is Jesus hasn't done anything yet, and yet the Father is saying, I'm pleased with him. What we see when it comes to the love of the Father, our Heavenly Father, it's not about performance. He's saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, and everybody who begins to believe in his Son, he's well pleased with us, not because of what we've done, but because of his love and his character. And then Jesus says this in chapter 1, verse 15, The kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. Meaning, here's what I'm here to do. I'm here to establish the kingdom. I'm here to, to, to unleash the power of God here in this world. And one day he's going to come and fully restore all things. And so from that moment in chapter 1, verse 15, you begin to see Jesus give us hints of what the kingdom of God will be like. Um, the first thing he does is he begins to call people to follow him and what it would be like to have right relationship with him because that's what we will have in the kingdom. And it says the fishermen drop their nets and they follow him. And then we see Jesus beginning to heal people. In fact, he takes Peter's mother, mother mother-in-law, and he heals her. Like, he heals his mother-in-law. Most people don't even like their mother-in-laws. And Jesus comes in and goes, look, look, this is what I'm going to do. And then he hangs out with what was known as the the outcast of that particular culture, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He invites them to know God and have right relationship with God. And then he says things like this to them. You know what the kingdom of God is like? He goes, it's like a sower who goes out and he— throws out some seeds, and, and, you know, some go on soil that's not good. However, there's this good soil that when it goes deep, meaning when the Word of God penetrates deep in your life, here's what it does. It it produces fruit, and it grows, and it's an activity of God. He goes, no, 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 no. It's like a mustard seed. It's something that's really small, seemingly insignificant. But all of a sudden, it grows, and it provides for people. He goes, that's what the kingdom of God is like. And up until this point, people don't know what the Jew with Jesus. And if you look at the religious people in his day, the people should have been ready for him. The scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes, they should have been ready for him. They don't get him. And then you also get the other people and the people who were not religious and they don't get him. Because Jesus begins to turn every one of our paradigms upside down. Here's what I mean by that. On one hand, he's far too liberal for the conservatives of his day. He's hanging around dead people and demons. Um, He's eating with with tax collectors and prostitutes. I mean, they're out at Levi's house, hanging out, popping bottles, not really. But I mean, he's he's there, right? And then all of a sudden, um, they don't like him. But then he's far too conservative for the liberals of his day, because he believes in the Bible. He believes in the word of God. He believes there's one way for salvation, and it's actually through him. And when he taught, he got on a boat, and he didn't need a mic. He just taught from the ocean, from the sea, right? That's Jesus. We need mics. And so what we, what we have is a transition in, in last week's message, this week's message, and next week's message. And that transition in talking about this kingdom begins to highlight the king, and that Jesus is the son of God, that he is God himself. He is not like God. He is God. He doesn't just work on behalf of God. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He's Jesus. And there's a way in which we see Jesus as the son of God. Last week, what we saw is that Jesus exercises his power and authority over the calming—the sea that's that's storming and and, and, and waging war, and they don't know what to do, and Jesus looks at the storm, and he says, calm down, and it calms down. Next week, we'll see there's two women. Um, One is a 12-year-old little girl, and one is a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, and how Jesus encounters both of them, and he heals them, exercising his power and authority even over the physical realm, and then today, we have this man who's possessed by demons, multiple demons— and Jesus exercised His authority even over the demonic, and we see His power to be, able to deliver here, deliver us, show us mercy, and we turn, and we begin to live for Him. And so that's what we'll look at. Would you just go ahead and join me here in chapter five, verse one? Now they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So what we have is Jesus had just come across the sea he gets to the other side of the sea. Now he's in the land of the Gentiles. Um, He had so far up in Mark, he's only been um, preaching to, ministering to, healing predominantly in Jewish cultures. And now he's now on the other side of the sea, extending the gospel to the Gentiles. Now, if you're not familiar with um, the Bible and what a Gentile or a Jew is, they're just people. Jewish people are ethnic Jewish people. And then Gentiles is anyone who's not an ethnic Jewish person. So if you're not ethnically Jewish here, you, you, we're all just pork-eating Gentiles, right? And so Jesus comes across to the other side of the sea and begins to start his ministry. But what we have here is this man. We don't know this man's name. We don't know his story. We don't know his background. We don't know what, how he got to this situation. But we do know his situation. That Mark begins to explain to us what this man is like. What, what we know is that he, has, he himself is hanging out among the tombs. Now, people didn't hang out among the tombs. Like that wasn't, a pl- that wasn't a popular place. Now they didn't have graves back then where they would dig out graves and st- they would just carve out in stones and they'd have tombs and they put dead bodies there. And also the unclean spirits hung out there. You see, in that day and age, they didn't separate the spiritual from the physical like we do. They, they believed actually in demonic and spiritual power, which is a real deal. We, we, we separate it. If we can't produce it through a scientific method or experiment, we don't think it's real. And yet it affects our lives. They, they didn't do that. Um, this man himself hung out there, which shows he didn't like his life. And even while he was living, he was lifeless. That these demons had so tormented him that it was better for him, he believed, to hang out among the death and hang around people who, um, excuse me, hang around people who were dead as well as demonic presence. And he himself was possessed by it. So life was not good for him. We know that. And the other thing we know for him, um, about him, is if you continue to read in verse three, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains and he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. One thing you know, one, he's unbelievably strong. Um, Two, that you understand is that this man is a harm to himself and he's a harm to others. He's a social outcast. Nobody wants to be with him. They tried to chain him up, they couldn't chain him up. They tried to bind him, they couldn't bind him and they just let him be. It doesn't talk about his family coming to him, it doesn't talk about his friends coming to him, it not talk about any of that. It just says, he's out there. And many of us may go, I've never experienced anyone who is possessed by a demon, but we have experienced this. We've experienced loved ones, maybe even ourselves, people who have been so dominated by something or someone that their personality is not even the same anymore. If you ever had anybody in your family who struggled with addictions, or you yourself have ever struggled with addictions and you've looked at somebody in the eyes and you go, that's not the person that I know, that it's overtaken this person. If you've ever had a friend or a family member or someone, even yourself, and you've been in a toxic relationship with somebody where someone is manipulating you or it's even in in an abusive relationship that every time you see that person, you say, that's not who they are. That's not the person that I know. That, that this person has completely been removed and something else is controlling, something else is guiding, something else is governing over this particular individual. That's not who I know that it is. He's not in his right mind. And so we understand the situation is bleak, but then it goes even further than that. He's desperate. Read verse six with me. It says this, or verse five, excuse me. And night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I mean, he didn't want to be here. He did not want to be here. And, and, and many of us have been there in thought and maybe even action, like, man, my situation is so bleak and it's so bad. Nobody can help me. The men of the town came and tried. They couldn't. I couldn't. There's nothing I can do. My situation is that dark. I mean, this man was treated like an animal. When it says in verse four that they tried to subdue him, the only other time in the New Testament that, that that word subdue is used, it's used in James chapter three, verse seven, talking about taming a wild beast. I mean, that's what it was like for him. That, that, that evil in itself had so disrupted, had so disfigured that imago Dei, that is the image of God that is in this man, that he was no longer treated like a man. He was treated like an animal because of the evil that was present within him. And so that's the situation that we find this man in, um, and that's the situation that Mark begins to explain about this man, but then he begins to tell us about another man, a man who had just calmed the sea, a man who was not just a man, but also um, was God, was fully man, was fully God, and that this man had a particular mission, and that was to establish and bring about his kingdom reign. And then this particular man was on a boat and was on his way. And as soon as he steps foot on the ground, what what happens when the demons begin to come encounter with God? Pick up with me again in verse 6. And when they saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I think this is interesting here because this is not the man doing this on his own volition, it's the demons. Jesus shows up on a boat and the demons see him and they go, uh-oh, this ain't good. This is not good. And they run and it says he throws himself before him. That language is the same picture you would have of someone laying down before God. Now, here's what this is saying. He, the, the demons are not just worshiping him saying, we want to follow you. That's not it. They're acknowledging that he's God. What Mark is trying to get us to see is that Jesus is God. Uh, Jesus is Lord. He is ruler. He is sovereign. He's everything that you think of the Father, but he is the Son, the Son of God. And this is important for us because I think sometimes we want Jesus to be very safe. We want Jesus to be very friendly. I have a friend. and we, we sing songs like that, right? Um, hear me. Jesus is a friend because the Bible says that. And Jesus is a lamb. The Bible says that. But he's also a lion. And, and Jesus is not as safe as we think he is. If there's any C.S. Lewis fan, f- fans in here, one, you're a Christian. Two, <laughs> two. if you've ever read The Chronicles of Narnia or you've seen the movie, there's a scene where Lucy, little girl, she's talking to the beaver, and, and, and Mr. Beaver is talking to her, and she goes, "Oh, well, I don't know what it's like to meet a lion. You know, I must be, like, is he safe? And he goes, what? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. He's not safe at all. But I tell you, he's good, and he's the king. Jesus is not safe. When Jesus comes in, if, if you've come into Jesus' life, he might be safe. And here's what I mean. If you've asked Jesus to do things for you, and you're a follower of Jesus because he makes your life better, if you're a follower of Jesus because maybe he might find you a spouse, or maybe he did, and now you owe him, um, <laughs> he's not safe. I mean, excuse me, he's very safe. You can do whatever you want because you really haven't met Jesus of the Bible. But if Jesus comes into your life, as he does in this man's life, as he does in our lives, then all of a sudden he's in control. And there are certain things that Jesus may ask of you that are not safe. There are certain things that he may call you to do that are not safe, that are not comfortable. Jesus Christ himself was very comfortable with being uncomfortable. So how should it be for those of us who follow him? That when the demons see him, they go, oh no, I adjure you by God, meaning I beg you, do not torment me. Because they understand his holiness, we, we, we could do ourselves a favor favor and looking at Jesus as not just the little innocent Jesus or not sweet baby Jesus, but like as God and a God's son. And because ironically, so far in the gospel of Mark, the only people who actually know Jesus are the demons. Like the demons are the only one who get it. Like the people who are following Jesus, they see him doing miracles. They see him cast out demons. They see him preach sermons. And then all of a sudden there's a storm and they're freaking out. And he gets up and he's like, calm down. And the storm calms down and they go, Who is this? Who is this? The ones who are fallen don't even know who it is, but the demons know this is son of the most high God. That phrase, son of the most high God, was only used to refer to God himself, meaning they knew that they they were treading on holy ground because Jesus got off the boat and that he was going to do something. And they said, hey, we know you're going to torment us, but we, we know our end goal. The demons know it. It's interesting enough, the demons know it. James says it this way. You said you believe in God? That's great. But the demons believe in God and they shudder, meaning they know There's a difference between knowing about God and following him. Um, The irony is the demons come to Jesus, and they actually bring the man to Jesus. (laughs) They bring this man to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and then the most awkward part of the story begins to happen. Just follow along with me. It says this, verse 8, "'For he has been saying to them, "'Come out of the man, you unclean spirit.' "'And Jesus asked him, "'What is your name?' "'And he replied, "'Legion, for we are many.' Jesus says, get out of him. And what is your name? He talks with authority to the demon. And the demon goes, oh, Jesus, it ain't just one of us. We're legion, meaning we're many. Um, Legion was used when it came to the Roman war, um, an army that they would have 6,000 plus people that would fight as one. And they were called legion. And he's saying, we're kind of like that. We're fighting as one and we are destroying this man's life. And then Jesus is like, you got to go. You can't be in this man's life anymore. Um, Verse 11 here, and it says this, or verse, yeah, verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs and let us enter them. And so they, he gave, so he gave them permission, and unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. I told you it was going to get awkward. Um, why did the demons ask to be thrown into the pigs? I have no idea. Let's not get tripped off over that. Oh, maybe it's because the p- I have no idea. Let's not speculate. We do know this. They asked to go to the pigs, and then Jesus let them go. One of the things you got to see here again is Jesus' authority. They asked Jesus for permission, the word says there. And you guys remember what it was like in junior high, elementary school. You go to Ms. Kaufman, your English, your English teacher. Um, Ms. Kaufman, can I go to the bathroom? I don't know, Ricardo. Um, it's a question of ability. I don't know if you can or if you can't go to the bathroom. So, oh, okay, I see where you're going. Um, may I go to the bathroom, right? And they change that language. Well, there's a difference, right? They, 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 don't, they don't ask him, um, can they? They know they don't have the ability to do only but what God says. That when Jesus shows up, he shows full authority that he is God. He's not just an agent of God. He is God himself. We get to represent God. We don't have the power and authority that God himself has and so the, the, the demons have to go to him and say, sorry, Jesus, we, did, we should have said, um, may, may we go to the pigs? And then for whatever reason, um, Mark doesn't let us know, Jesus sends them to the pigs, and it says 2,000 pigs went crazy, ran, jumped off the cliff into the sea, and they drowned. And I know what you're thinking. Pigs can't swim, can they? <laughs> that, that, that why that happens, I have no idea but what's getting lost in the midst of this while we're thinking about the pigs is, God has just done something for this man. We're such a people that are looking for the awe instead of realizing that's what he said he was gonna do. The kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. And we gotta step back real quick to see what Jesus is doing individually, what he also does corporately and what he's doing cosmically. And when I mean step back, I meaning we we gotta understand not just this story but the, the greater story of which this is a part of and what Jesus is doing. And that is the story of the world as we see in the Bible. In fact, we ran all the way back to the beginning of the story, the beginning of the beginning, where we see in Genesis, where God creates, and God is saying, it's good, it's good. Everything he creates, it's good, it's good. And then he sees man by himself, and he goes, this is sad. Hey, this ain't good. And so then he creates woman, and then he put man and woman together, and he said, "That's all good. And in that moment, he says, enjoy everything, but you know what, this tree, don't eat of this tree. And there was evil present. Before there was sin, there was evil. And evil was in the, the, the serpent. Why? Well, I don't know. Again, the Bible doesn't let us know. But when the serpent begins to manipulate Eve, and Eve eats of the fruit, and then Adam eats of the fruit, what we have now is the unleashing of both sin and evil. And it begins to disrupt, not obliterate, not destroy what God once had said was good. That God created every single human being, the apex of his creation, Was that he created everyone, whether you believe in God or not, whether you're white, black, old, young, does not matter. You are created in the image of God. And what that means is you have value, you have dignity, you have purpose, you have significance, you have meaning just by being created in the image of God. And what sin now does and what evil does, it, it begins to try to disrupt that. And in, on, and Jesus then promises, God promises in Genesis 3.15 that the woman will have a seed, meaning God was going to do something. He wasn't gonna quit on his creation and, and something he said was good, that he was gonna provide a seed of the woman who would come with ultimately crushed the head of that serpent. And as we see the Bible unfold, we see that that seed is none other than God's son who is present now with this man. And that God himself is redeeming and restoring and uniting all things to himself in the work of Christ Jesus. And now this man individually gets to see what Jesus is doing in his plan of redemption. That is, he's looking at the evil that is in this man and he's saying, I'm getting rid of it. He's looking at the penalty of sin and which has infected us all. And he says, I'm taking that away. And I'm restoring this man into once what was good. I'm restoring this man into his right mind. And we begin to see this this unplay, this, this play out in his life. You know what? That's the same thing he's doing in our lives. Is that personally, when Jesus comes into our lives, he's not just saying, I've come to change your morality. You know why? What Adam and Eve lost in the garden was not just their ability to do right things. They lost relationship with God. And now Jesus is coming, restoring that. Our morality and our right living will flow out of us knowing first and foremost who we are created to be and who is our creator and how we are united with him and Jesus. So yes, the pigs did jump off the cliff and they can't swim. But this man is restored to himself. Now, what do you do uh, when you're, if you're a herdsman at this moment? You've been doing something you've been doing every single day and that's going out and watching the pigs. Nothing exciting. And all of a sudden you're there. You see this man come over on a boat. And he's got some other people with him. He gets off. The demons run, the de- demonic man runs towards him. You see this dialogue. All of a sudden you're looking at your herd, your livelihood, and all of a sudden the demons go into your pigs. Your pigs run, jump off the cliff and then they drown. What do you do, right? You tell everybody you know, right? And so you got to go back into the town and let everybody know you guys are not going to believe what happened today. And, you know, the townspeople, they haven't seen anything, I don't know, good happen in a long time. And so they begin to tell the story. And everyone's probably got to be like, no way, no, there's no way. We tried to shackle that guy. You're talking about the big, strong guy? He goes, yeah, that guy. He's clothed in his right mind. He, he, there's this man there. I think his name is Jesus. He was on a boat. The pigs died, you guys, right? No more bacon. And so there, there, there's this, this sense happening, and everybody in the town wants to rush out and see with their own eyes. Can you imagine the townspeople grabbing up? You gotta go, you gotta girl, you gotta see this, right? Every, every single thing possible, we gotta see it. And that's exactly what happens here. If you pick up with me in verse 14, and the herdsmen fled and told, told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see to see it, was that it happened. I don't know why I can't read that. Uh, Basically, they were like, what had happened was, and then they kept going, uh, verse 15, and they came to Jesus and saw the the demon-possessed man and the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Huh. They came to see something that they wanted to see. They see the gospel play out, the kingdom. They see the power of God. They, they look at Jesus, and they look at the man. He's clothed in his right mind, meaning that he looks completely different. They see no pigs, and they go, you got to go. This is freaking us out. Isn't it crazy how people respond differently to the good news of Jesus Christ and his power? So here I was, 22 years old, probably February, March, about 2005, um, and I'm at an apartment complex called the Alexon, And I'm wrestling my thoughts with some sin and some things that I was dealing with and just the lifestyle that I had and guilt and what I know now to be the weight of sin on me. And this lady calls me, who I've never met before, and she is a friend of my mom's, um, who was in my mom's prayer group. Why, why is my mom sharing all my personal business to people in their prayer group? I don't know. Um, <laughs> why did my mom give this lady my number that I never met? I have no idea. But this woman calls me, and she begins to share with me this incredible news of how God loves me, how he can deliver me from my situation, and how he forgives me of all my sin and will always forgive me. She says, either you can just run towards him right now and just surrender, or he'll do whatever it takes to get you, but if you're his, you're always going to be his, sweetheart. And I'm just telling when you hear an old black woman say, sweetheart, you're like, I'm in. <laughs> I miss this. I'm in. And and my life just changed. And you know what? I was so excited about Jesus. And for the first time, I was excited about Jesus Christ. And it wasn't like I went to church because I felt like I need to, quote, unquote, get right with God. I realized God in Christ had got right with me. This whole time I'm supposed to be seeking God. He's seeking me. He's come across the sea to find me. And I want to tell everybody about it. And I go to tell my friends, and they're not having it. Now, I probably wasn't the best evangelist at that time. I probably said, hey, man, you're going to burn in hell. Jesus is going to come back. You got a decision to make, right? That's not winsome, and that's not good news, just, just in case you were going to try that today. Um, but they were not for it. They were, they were not, my boys were not for it. They're like, no, man, no, no, you're, you're Ricardo. We, this will go. This will pass. This will." And it didn't. You know why? It was real because God is real. But people weren't for it. The people who were excited about it, Christians were excited. People who knew me in college that were, that were Christians were like, Ricardo's a Christian. That's how I met my wife. She, w- she was a soccer player and I was a football player. Holly, Holly was a, a Christian. I wasn't. She never talked to me. She, she like, I ain't got time for all that. And then all of a sudden I became a Christian and she was all over me. <laughs> 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 it's kind of true. So, so the, there, 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 there's just like this change and all of a sudden there's two different sides of how people respond to the same truth and reality of gospel movement. And that's what happens here. Um, on one hand, you have the people of the town, they go, oh, we don't want that. Get out of here. And that's not the man's response. It's the same thing that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter two. He goes, you know what? We're like the aroma of Christ to both life and death. So to those who are living, to those who see God, to those who understand what he's done for them, it is life to life. It is a good smell. But that same smell to those who reject and those who deny and those who go, we're afraid, we don't want anything about this. It's death to death. These men, they didn't want Jesus to come disrupting their comfort. Now let's be careful, those of us in this room, who even would call ourselves Christians, because we're not all that fond about Jesus coming into our life and disrupting our comfort either. That, that um, we would love to have everything we want and Jesus. Uh, Jesus to them there's no gain for them. There's no personal gain. Um, they, they, they don't want it because, I mean, so far there's been economic loss. I mean, the pigs are all gone now. Um, socially or relationally, they're like, okay, the only person who wants to follow this guy is the craziest guy we know, right? You never follow your crazy friend. You get that phone call, hey man, I got this business there. If you buy this and you buy this and we get some people um, under up the buy, and no, all right, we don't, we don't follow you. You're crazy. And so they don't want them. They reject something that is very, very, beautiful because he's going to disrupt things. And so they beg him, could you leave? And Jesus actually listens. Interesting enough, he listens. Verse, verse uh seven, eighteen. here, it says this, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might stay with him. I think this is the best part of this whole story. Is because when you have encountered God, you want to be with him. If you truly have encountered Jesus, not not just, oh, he just forgave my sins and now I get to go do whatever I want. Well, you didn't really understand his mercy and his grace. When you've encountered God, when you realize your situation was as bleak as this man, you realize that sin and evil and so many things have just completely got you captured, And that how much money you have and how much effort, the people in the town, the people in your life, your mom, your dad, nobody can get you out of that situation. And then a man shows up who happens to be the son of God and says, you weren't looking for this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Um, You don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. The situation you're in, I could leave you there and be totally still God. And yet because I'm God, I'm going to deliver you out of this position of evil. When you've experienced that, you have these words can I be with you, Jesus? Think about it as kids. I don't know if you guys, see, I, my mom had to work a lot. And I didn't have, like I said, I didn't have a dad. And it's not a sob story. But whenever I would have a really good coach, or whenever one of my friends' dad would do something for them and they would not appreciate the things their dad had, I would just say, can I spend the night? Can I spend the night tomorrow? Can I live with you guys? <laughs> I mean, because you, you see something you go, I totally want that. And when you have been wrecked by the gospel, and God is transforming you from the inside out, he is delivering you, he's showing his power. If there's someone to give your marriage to, it's not just a counselor, it's to Jesus. If there's someone to give the the souls of your children to, it's not just the next best conference, it's not just the best ways to raise your kids, it's not just healthy eating, it's not cloth diapers or disposable diapers, sorry, that's a tempy thing. It's to give them to Jesus. You don't know what you're going to do in the future, give it to Jesus. I just want to be with him. And I want everybody else around me to be with him. That is a picture of discipleship. God moves into your life, and he does something. He transforms you. Um, we say this thing like we invite Jesus. In our life. You don't invite Jesus. Jesus kicks the door down. He comes in and goes, This ain't happening. We're, re- we're not even going to rearrange. Get all of this out. I got my people, the Holy Spirit, moving in. Right? And we begin to make a whole new life out of you. And this man says, I want to be with you. Because what God is doing in all of this world, he begins to do individually in our hearts. And that is to pull out the things that are in us that are not of him and replace our lives and our hearts with a heart like his that it begins to beat. That we metaphorically are no longer hanging around the tombs. That we realize that the stint of death is not something we want to be, but we want to hang out with the one who is the giver of life, who's Jesus Christ. Amen? This man says, I want to be with you. And then Jesus denies him, though. It's like, he, he sends him the note, and he says, I love you. Do you love me? Circle, yes or no, or maybe. And Jesus is like, just stay here. And he pray about it. <laughs> Look at me in verse 19. It says, he did not permit him to go, but he said, go to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. And he went away, and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him, and everyone marveled. Here's what happens. Jesus doesn't just say, no, I don't want you. He goes, no, 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 I got something else for you. You're gonna stay right here. The reason why I shared my story earlier is I get the most incredible opportunity by God's grace to be in the place where I've done the stupidest things and have the stupidest thoughts and by God's grace to be able to share the hope of this gospel. All I do and all we're called to do is to be wherever it is that God calls us, stay where you are and tell everybody about the mercy that has been shown to you how our God is the one who comes in and he delivers us. Our God is the one who redeems us. Our God is the one who has the power to save us. Our God is the one who gets evil and pushes it far away. Our God is the one who calms the seas. Our God is the one who loves us. Our God is the type of God that comes to us even when we're not coming to him. And we tell everyone about him. And that the posture of discipleship is this, Jesus, I want to be with you. Let me ask you this question now. This morning, um, and I think Sundays are, easily, are easy, but tomorrow, when you look at your banking account, and you realize you don't got the money to really go on the vacation you want to this summer, um, when you're looking at your spouse, and you're going, man, why can't we get through this particular thing? We keep butting heads. When you look at your children, and they're not behaving, they're not acting right. Um, when, when you look at your situations, you look at your circumstance, in those moments, do you say, Jesus, I want to be with you. Um, Jesus I want to be with you, and the second part of this, I want to tell people about what you've done for me. Because all we have to do is just look in the rearview mirror of our life and see all the many ways in which Jesus has delivered us and which he's spared us and which he's loved us and which he's met us, and we realize the kingdom of God is already at work in my life. I had no idea. He crossed the sea, got on the cross, got in a tomb, and God raised him up that I may have life. I want to be with him. Church, do you want to be with him? That's what it's about is that God comes in our life. He delivers us. And now we follow him and we tell everybody about him. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the great grace that has been extended to us, the mercy that has been shown to us, the revelation of Jesus that's been revealed by the Holy Spirit, the comforting of your word, God, in what you've given us, the discipleship of men and women who've been in our life, the sacraments in which we take, Lord, in which we remember your broken body and your shed blood in which we are loved, we are embraced, and we are welcomed, that we are being transformed, Lord, that you are restoring the image of God in us in Christ. God, help us to reach out to you as you have firmly and sovereignly reached out to us. Help us to believe in you, Jesus, as powerful, as mighty, and as one who stands to deliver. God, be the lifter of our heads, the light of our faces, and may our voices and our hands and our hearts and everything of who we are, Lord, be given wholly to you, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.